you dream of a classroom where learning is natural? Can we inspire students to lifelong learning? What exactly is the purpose of an education? Inspiring students to be curious, independent, creative, innovative, deep thinking, confident, proactive, collaborative, determined, educated. Rise to the challenge of changing the world. This is teaching. This is learning. This is who we are. Welcome to the Tabletop Inventing Podcast. Can a student get A's in a college calculus class after almost failing algebra in high school? How does a financial analyst find his way to becoming a park ranger? What is the power of a story to influence students, customers, or acquaintances? Listen in for the engaging answers in today's podcast. Hey there, Innovation Nation. Today's guest is anything but ordinary. As a park ranger turned MBA, He's a real storyteller. As human beings, we long to have the world woven into a story. John Steinbeck said, we are lonesome animals. We spend all of our life trying to be less lonesome. One of our ancient methods is to tell a story begging the listener to say and to feel, yes, that is the way it is, or at least that is the way I feel it. You're not as alone as you thought. I was actually thinking that very thought this morning as I listened again to one of my favorite stories. I like to start my day off with a good story to launch me into the day. (laughs) I love harrowing stories with heroes and villains and underdogs. Do you like stories like I do? If so, you might resonate with this story. Last summer, during one of our inventors boot camps, we had a young teenager. His name was Eric and he wasn't fitting in very well with his team. He was obviously a bright young man, but needed to find his place in our high-tech summer camp. He had tried the electronics and programming, but hadn't meshed very well. Then he tried the 3D design and was taken to another world. He spent the rest of the week designing and 3D printing his designs. The real kicker? Eric was on the autism spectrum and yet found a way to thrive in his team. To find out more about our inventor's bootcamp, visit ttinvent.com and click on the inventor's bootcamp button. And now to our storyteller of the day, Jody Mayberry. Jody started off as a pretty bad high school student, but even though he dropped his basic algebra class twice in college for poor grades, two years later he was getting an A in calculus. Let's listen in to find out how this transformation occurred. So our guest this afternoon is Jody Mayberry. Jody is the co-host of a podcast called Creating Disney Magic with Lee Cockrell. Lee Cockrell is the former executive vice president of Disney World in Orlando, Florida. Jody also has another podcast called The Park Leaders Show. And he has that show because for eight years Jody was a park ranger. And now he's back to work in marketing and using his experience as an MBA. Now that's quite a spread of talent. Jody, tell us a little bit about how you got to these different places. Well, I started out as a financial analyst at a commercial bank, which was exactly what I went to school to do. I have a degree in finance and marketing, and it was just a fit to move right into financial analyst, which I did. And it took me about four years to realize, well, gosh, I'm stopping in a park every day after work to play, I might as well become a park ranger. So that took 
<laughs> some <laughs> that took some back work. You can't you don't exactly just decide to be a park ranger and then become one. So I had to go back to school again to get the proper credits and took me a year, but I became a park ranger and then spent eight years as a park ranger. And when I left, I went back to school to get a MBA. While I did that, I worked as the marketing manager and a project manager and a bookkeeper at a family owned construction company. And now I'm on my own. So what I do now is like a big snowball of all those other things rolled into one package. Let's actually reverse even further than that then. Tell us a little bit about your experience getting to the position of being a financial analyst. Like, how did you end up there? What was your educational experience like Go way back? I went to Illinois State University to get a degree in finance, and I enjoyed college enough that I stayed to get one more degree, a degree in marketing. And I enjoyed college, and this ties into eventually becoming a park ranger. I enjoyed college so much because I was involved in the Illinois State University Outdoor Program. And I was a trip coordinator, which meant I got to lead trips into usually small stuff, local canoeing trips on rivers, little hiking trips, but we also did big trips. So I spent a week in the backcountry of Yellowstone in the winter, which is as wonderful. And after graduating college, this is around about to get to financial analyst, but I took a vacation for three months because I knew I would end up working the rest of my life and I wanted to explore the West. So lived out of a tent that whole time in Washington state, realized I could never really go back to Illinois so I did go back, but only to pack up my car and move back out <laughs> and eventually got my foot in the door at a bank just as a loan servicing specialist, which is entry level. But I knew once I get in there, I'm going to do a great job. They're going to see what a great job I do and realize they enjoy being around me and I will get promoted. And it did. It worked exactly that way. I spent six months at that job. Ended up doing staff accountant position just for a little while to, to train on more accounting side. And then I was a financial analyst. I wore a shirt and a tie every day to work, which I actually liked doing at the time. I had and still do have them somewhere in the closet, some really, <laughs> some really nice ties. And I thought, well, this is neat. I finally get to wear a shirt and tie to work every day. But after four years of doing that, it was also four years of spending evenings exploring parks. We didn't have kids at the time. Every weekend we would go on a camping trip, usually off to eastern Washington somewhere. And when the opportunity came to become a park ranger, then I went for it. And like I said, it took a year. But it's interesting how so much of the business side from being a financial analyst stuck with me, even as a park ranger. It made me a better problem solver. It made me a better big picture thinker in ways that you wouldn't think one translates to another, and it really does. And then I later found that being a park ranger actually translates really well into marketing and all these other areas of business. So that's how it started, being a financial analyst. It was getting into finance, finding the company I wanted to work for, and they didn't have a job I wanted open, so I just got myself in there so I could prove who I was. Okay, you just bent my brain. Now I have to ask, <laughs> how does being a park ranger help you be a better financial analyst? 
No, I, being a park ranger has helped me be better at marketing. I've never gone back to being a financial analyst since I was a park ranger, but being a financial analyst did help in ways of being a park ranger. So this is all added up. So what's the thread through that? Like, how did that all add up? I think the thread has always been really about a great story. I don't know if you follow that yet, but I came to the Northwest chasing a good story. That's what kept me here. Well, actually, meeting a girl kept me here. <laughs> and the whole time I was a financial analyst, that's my job. That's what I did to pay the bills. But all the rest of the time, I was out exploring, out uh, finding a great story. And then being a park ranger in itself is a pretty good story. And then that rolls right into, since I left being a park ranger, it has helped with understanding customer experience is a big part of parks. Because every park has trails, every park has trees, but it's that experience. If you go to a park and you just see the trees and you hike the trail, but nothing really stands out, your experience is just what you'd expect, the next time you probably will try a different park. But it's the same way in business. If you don't create a great customer experience, then your customer is likely to try somebody else. So that is how... Park Ranger translates into what I do now very well. So for our audience, and I'm familiar with the idea of stories as a way of helping customers understand what you do as a company and, and to enhance your marketing. But why don't you tell us a little bit, like flesh that out a little bit so our audience can understand that? Well, there are a couple ways to look at it. One is the story and one is the experience. And I like to draw a line between the two. So the story is what's going to draw somebody in to do business with you. For me, let's say you want to do business with me because I tell the story about being a park ranger and the customer experience. And so if you own a business and you think, oh, well, that's a good story, that could really help me look differently at how I work with my customers, the experience a customer has. So that story, that's you like my background of being a park ranger. You like how I tell it. It draws you in. The experience is once we start working together, what is that like? So let's use a drugstore, for example. Here in the town I live in, it's a small town. There is a pharmacy at the big chain grocery store, and then there is a small family-owned pharmacy drugstore right downtown. So without the story, the pharmacy is a commodity. And if it's a commodity, why not go to the big chain that's going to be cheaper? But with the story of the pharmacy, it's locally owned, it's been here forever, it's part of the community, things like that. You can build on that to make the story of why someone would go in there. And then when you look at experience, you go into the big box chain and you wait in line and they treat you the same. They, they don't know who you are and so on. But you go into the local pharmacy and they've got a soda fountain. They've got things to entertain the kids. They sell other stuff as well, but they know your name. They likely have seen you a few times. They say hi. They call you by name. All of that is part of the experience. So the story helps draw people in. It helps people connect it makes people want to do business with you the first time. And then the experience is what brings people back. They have such a good time. And Disney World is a great example. You don't go to Disney World and then say, oh, that, that was all right. You go to Disney World and you come home and you tell everybody about it. 
and you start plotting the next time you get to go back. And the experience actually becomes part of your customer's story now. So your story can be good enough where the customer wants to be part of that story. And then the experience you want to be so good that it now becomes part of the customer's story. Wow. I am highly susceptible to good stories, and I suspect that most people are. And when you were talking about the little drugstore there, I immediately tie into that because we also live in a small town here. And sometime in the first couple of months of being here, I went into the post office, and one of the postal clerks looked at my last name and says, Oh, are you Hungarian? And I said, Yeah. And she said, oh, I'm Hungarian too. And she knows me by name. Every time I come into the post office, she knows uh -huh. who I am. You know, She'll run straight back. She knows exactly where our packages are. And that small town experience allows you to build a really cool story. How often do you run into that with people with the park ranger thing, the whole idea of thinking small and personal? Well, let's – I want to stick on your post office story and, and talk about that. I've got, I've got two post offices nearby. And one is a little bit larger. And you go in there and the story that they tell is we're busy. You're an annoyance. Get through the line as fast as you can with as little words as you can so I can move on to the next person I don't care about. That's the story that they tell. Not deliberately and not with their words, but that is what the story they tell through the experience. You go into the other post office. And if you've come enough, they know you by name, but they're going to talk to you. You're probably going to have to wait in line just a little bit longer because they're talking to the person in front of you about the farm or what, whatever's happening, what their cousin did. But you also know when you get up there, they're going to spend that little bit of extra time with you. So that's the difference. It's the exact same product because it's two post office and you can choose to go to either one. They're close enough where you can go to either one, but you're going to go to the one that gives you the slow, the personal, the more in touch with customer. You're going to go for that experience unless you don't care about that at all. And your only concern is moving through line as quick as possible. And you don't care if they're rude because you're going to get through line two minutes faster. Well, then you go to the first, the little bit bigger post office. So how important do you think that is, that personal touch, that storytelling of I know who you are in a business? Well, I think today it is more important than it's ever been because we swung quite a ways in the other direction. We move towards technology and everybody is stuck in their phone and people aren't paying attention to people and corporations just got bigger and customers started to feel like numbers and they don't care. And that's why it now matters because people realize we've swung so far in that direction. I don't feel connected to the people around me. I don't feel connected to the businesses. And then here's where the, the park ranger story starts sprinkling back in. If you go camping and you never see a park ranger, then it doesn't add anything to your experience. If you go camping and you see a park ranger and he's rude to you, that adds to your experience, but it doesn't contribute well to the story you're going to tell about that park. But if you go camping and the park ranger comes by your campsite and he scratches your dog's ear and he talks to your 
five-year-old son about hiking and tells you a couple of sites you can see in the park. Well, the family's going to remember that. And when it comes time to go camping again, they're going to choose that park. And that's the same way businesses can look at interactions with their customers. You know, uh, we've actually got a park just like that, like 20 minutes up the road from us. We we live on the backside of the San Gabriel Mountains, and there's a little camping area up there called Table Mountain. And it's just close enough that when we need like a mini vacation, you know, we just you know go up there and pitch a tent or drive the RV or something up there. And, and the lady at the front who does the uh, check-in, she comes by and checks to make sure that, you know, you are not parking out too far. You know, she's got all the same duties that you have when you're in that position. But she always does it with a smile. You know, she's always really flexible. And she was really helpful the last time we were there and helped us actually find out something about scheduling that we didn't know. And now it's much easier for us to get a spot up there because she told us about a little tip and a secret about how to get in and, and, and get good spots and stuff. And it's that little touch that has really made that place a place that we want to go back to. So that I totally understand that side of the story, for particularly for the park ranger side. And you know what she did, whether she meant to or not, is she made you an insider. And when you feel like an insider to that park or if you feel like an insider to a business – you are very likely to return. Oh, that was awesome, Jody. I think you just gave me like a like a big secret of things that we can do here because we actually want to we want kids to feel like that. In our business, we work with kids and teenagers and help them learn how to become unafraid of technology and how to uh, use it to spark innovation and creative ideas. But we want kids to make it their own. But if they could feel like they're an insider, that immediately gives them a feeling of confidence which is one of the things we're trying to communicate with them. That's good. That's really good. Mm. So let me shift gears just a little bit. Quite a few of our listeners are educators and parents uh, interested in education. Tell us how you ended up in college. What was that experience like? Did you always know you were going to college? I did not. I honestly was an awful student in high school and had no ambition to go to college. I kind of like photography though. So I thought I might go to do something with photography and and realized, no, that's not going to happen. But I had a business teacher that I liked. Jill Warren had such an impact on me. She was my accounting teacher, business law, all those business type classes in high school. And I thought, okay, well, she really went out of her way for me as a student. Even though I wasn't a good student, she really connected with me. And she taught business classes, so maybe I'll go to college for business. And that's what I did. Even though I didn't care for school, I went to the local community college for a couple of years and got an associate's degree in business administration and thought, I'm starting to figure this student stuff is a lot more fun than, than high school was. So I went to the university, and by the time I finished at Illinois State University, I was getting A's. So I went from bad grades in high school to great grades in college because I just figured out how to learn, I I think is how I would describe that. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, since then, it's always been uh, a lot of self-study. I've gone back to school in different ways. Like the law enforcement academy, that's going back to school, going back to school to get an MBA. So it's kind of surprising to me when I look back on it. Now, when I I look at the education I've had, but then I look at my 17-year-old self, and there's no way the 17-year-old Jody 
would have thought this would happen. So this is, again, connected to one of your stories. It's the story that your business teacher, do you feel like she told you a story about yourself you didn't know? Or like, how, how did that hook you? I actually felt like she just made me part of her story. She was teaching these classes, and for whatever reason, we made a connection. And and here's the thing that I didn't know then, and I realize it's probably true now. The way that she made me feel, she probably made many, if not all, the students feel that way. But she connected with me, made me part of a story, made me feel like I belonged in those classes. And I have picked up a love for numbers from her and... Without her, I don't know that the rest of that would have happened. Okay, now you just opened up a can of worms because this sounds like customer service from a teacher perspective. And that's not something we talk about very often. As a teacher, you do have you know, 20 or 30 customers that show up every day, and you have the opportunity to make them feel like they belong or don't belong. Tell me about the other teachers you had and compare those experiences between that and what did you say your business teacher's name was Jill yes Jill Warren so every other teacher and I am lumping them together so this is probably a poor generalization but keep in mind you're talking about a teenage boy that doesn't particularly care if he's at school or not it seemed like most teachers just want you to come in and sit down be quiet they're going to lecture from the book and then you take a test, and that's what class is. But that was not the case with Jill Warren. It was very interact. I actually feel awkward calling her Jill Warren. I still feel like I should call her Mrs. Warren. <laughs> I have the same thing <laughs> with my teachers, actually. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it wasn't that way with Jill Warren. Her classes were very interactive, and she let personalities come out a little bit more. I was quite a jokester in her class when I probably wasn't in other classes. I remember one semester she did a thing where every time you entered her class, she met every student at the front door and shook their hand and just said, I'm glad you're here. And most kids complained about that at first, but eventually that catches on and you look forward to it until some joker like me comes in with a hand buzzer and shakes her hand. So one of the, we talk about customer service, customer experience, or Disney, their thing is you're putting on a show every day. She came the closest to that of any teacher I had during that time where she did, she didn't just put out information for the kids. She served the kids in her class. She put on a, a show for the kids, meaning you're not just going to come and sit down. She, she'd greet you at the door. She had a thing called the winner's circle where, I don't know, once a week maybe you had to go in front of the class and hold up this big circle. She called the winner's circle. You had to hold it up in front of you, and the whole class would cheer for you. And again, most people complained, oh, this is stupid, but secretly they loved it. And I think that's part of it. Going to her class was a story. It was part of your story because she was serving you. She was making you feel like you belonged there. And maybe we didn't catch on to this. We were learning a lot about business and accounting while we were there. So she totally distracted you by making you feel welcome and you learned whether you liked it or not. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. That was her dirty secret. <laughs> wow. That actually reminds me of something that Debbie says. And Debbie's my wife and you haven't had an opportunity to meet her yet, but she is a fantastic teacher. She actually reminds me of 
Jill Warren, who you're talking about. One of her favorite things to say is that teaching is a performing art. And I have had an opportunity to watch her and try to copy her abilities. And I'll never be as good as she is, but I have tried very hard to pick up on some of the things that she says and does in her teaching philosophy. And students really do respond well when you take a deep interest in them. And that's a really powerful thing in education. You know, if there are any teachers listening, I think I would encourage them, if you do that, continue to do it. You know, that thing about Jill meeting you at the door and shaking your hand, that's genius. That's amazing. And, and I agree. You, know, you said high school, right? Yes, high school. Yeah, so, so high school students, are they're going to think that that's corny, right? I mean, they just do. But I think you're exactly right when you say that secretly the kids all thought that was really cool. Because as a teenager, you're too cool to admit that you might need someone else or that that might you know, feed something in you that you really need or like or want. Yes. Here's the thing. How many teachers did I have in high school? I remember a handful of names. There's a lot I don't remember, but I'm still telling stories about Jill Warren. That is very telling, actually. That is very telling. And there are amazing teachers out there just like that who make that spark jump between the student and teacher. And I, I just, this is a, a shout out to all of those teachers. Keep doing what you're doing because it makes a difference. This is bigger than you think because as a high school student, you have passed your prime for learning math. There's good research that says that you shouldn't have gone back and become good at math after sixth or seventh grade, eighth grade at the most. If you miss middle school math, the data says you can't come back. But you went on to become a financial analyst, and if I haven't missed my mark, doesn't that mean like calculus? Yeah, th that's actually interesting because my first year in college, I dropped basic algebra twice because, because I wasn't going to pass. Two years later, I was getting an A in calculus. Wow. That just talks about the power of that confidence that Jill was able to stir up in you that you could go do that. Yeah, it definitely made a difference. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, so we're going to take our final left-hand turn here and ask the last two questions that we always land with. And the first one is, in this age, the digital age, where we can go Instagram photos of something we saw three seconds ago, or we can go to Facebook and we can find out what our friends had for breakfast, or we can go out and use the powerful search tools out there to look over half a billion websites to find the exact piece of information we need to solve a problem. With that backdrop, what does it mean to be, quote, educated? I really like that question, and it makes me think back to when I was in college. It was a business law class, and I had a textbook that I bought used, and there were these pieces of all the chapters highlighted, and I get into the first lecture, and I notice the the teacher is almost saying word for word what's highlighted in my used textbook that I bought. And that went on week after week. So basically, the teacher, professor, was reading from the book, and that was our lectures, and we tested on that. But you fast forward now, you and I met at a Ray Edwards conference where he was teaching us about business. And we were learning exactly what we wanted to learn that applied to us exactly how we needed it to. And I compared that experience of someone in front of the classroom reading out of a textbook, and then I have to take a test on it, versus what you and I were learning together at that conference. 
And I think that's what education has become is that you can pick exactly what you want to learn. And there's no excuse not to learn anything now, because if you want to learn how to mow your yard better, there you can do it. You could probably even find a conference about yard mowing <laughs> or, or YouTube videos or whatever you want. There is no reason to not get highly educated. You can become specialized in anything you want now where, and, and not that I'm knocking the old model. Uh, maybe I just learned different now. Before you had to go to the classes someone else told you you had to go to and meet certain requirements. And I think that's just how things are moving. Lee Cockrell tells me that he thinks in 10 years that you could get a degree without ever setting foot in a classroom. And it can be more personalized than it is now. Everybody sitting in a chair, looking the same direction, listening to the same thing at the same time. And I, I believe it. Things are moving that direction because now we can specialize how we educate ourselves. Well, there are quite a few educators, I think, that might agree with that. I mean, I think there are people who would disagree with that. But regardless of whether that's exactly what happens or we end up with a hybrid of that, uh, certainly education is becoming much more personalized and the information we can find is much more personalized. So I completely agree with that assessment. So with the final question here, uh, this is a little deeper question, sort of a philosophical question, and you know you can take this whichever direction you'd like to take it, but what is the purpose of an education? As you look back over your experiences, you look at what you've done and think about the clients that you've served, what is the purpose of an education? This is a personal answer, but for me, the purpose of an education was more than learning. It It was a big confidence builder for me. It's opened doors. It's made me believe I can do things that I may have not had any business figuring out how to do. But once you realize you can learn, then you can get an education in anything because you figure out how to. And, you know, I used to not be a fan of math, but I tell kids now how important math is. Even if you never use because you'll hear kids say, well, I'm never going to use this again. Maybe not. Maybe you'll never have to figure out how many cars pass through a stoplight from which direction in 30 minutes. But what you will use is the problem solving that you had to use to figure that out. So to me, that's what the purpose of an education is. It's a confidence builder and it teaches you how to solve problems. That's a perfect answer. I think we're going to wrap right there before you and I spoil it. Thank you so much, Jody, for taking time here on uh, on our podcast. I'm going to ask you to stay for a couple of minutes uh, afterwards, but what's the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Well, the best place to find me is my home on the web, which is jodymayberry.com, and you can also find me on Twitter at Jody Mayberry, and reach out, say hello, ask a question, maybe we'll talk about squirrels. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Jody. Thank you. If you've been enjoying the conversations and insights here on the podcast, share it with a friend. Great ideas demand to be shared. You can also help fellow parents and educators by subscribing to the Tabletop Inventing podcast in iTunes, leaving a rating, and writing a review. If you use Android, subscribe, leave us a rating, and write a review in Stitcher. Links to subscribe can be found at www.ttinvent.com podcast. 
contact us, and we'll think through the comments and answer your questions here in the podcast. And be sure to let us know if you'd like a shout-out or to remain anonymous. You can share your comments and questions at www.ttinvent.com podcast or by emailing us at podcast at ttinvent.com. Let's discuss your thoughts and questions. Join us again next time when we will again seek to answer the question, what is the purpose of an education? And as educators, how do we awaken the inventor in each of our students? Mm-hmm.